Really? Are you ready to praise your God this morning? Come on, let's praise our God this morning. Here we go.
Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's also good that this is a bit of an oldie. We're going to sing, I know you love me. Hopefully. I know you're for me. You're not against me. Okay, even I can't remember the words of the song. <laughs> and I've sung it maybe, I don't know, 50 times, I, I don't know, 100 times. Do you want them? <laughs> this is a keyboard. Um, let's do Thank You Lord, let's do that chorus, because we're having an awesome technical time today, but not that I want to draw attention to that. But um, if we can't remember the words, you know, we're all stuffed. <laughs> all right? <laughs> but we can sing Thank You Lord for saving me. Jesus! like that, that would be very helpful to you. So welcome, it's great to have you here this morning. Has anybody had a birthday or a wedding anniversary in the last week? 
you have had a birthday. You're right. One birthday, two birthdays, two birthdays, fantastic. Why don't you come down and join me if you've had a birthday or a wedding anniversary? Birthdays, eh? Happy birthday. That's right, my mum had a birthday too, fantastic. Can we jump up on our feet? We're going to declare God's blessing over all these wonderful people. No wedding anniversaries this week. All birthdays. Wedding anniversary. That's right. 11 years, isn't it? Happy anniversary. Brilliant. Here comes your hubby. It works so better together. Nice move there, Caleb. Swoop in with the arm. I like it. Very good. Okay, let's declare God's blessing over these wonderful people this morning. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favour, prosperity, purpose and protection over them this year. Activate your love and goodness through each one in Jesus' name. Amen. How about giving them a big hand? Happy birthday, wedding anniversary. Well, there's a few things you need to know about for the coming weeks. The first is this, and you need to make a, a strong mental note of this or write it down somewhere. Next week, we start at 9 a.m., not 10.30. 9 a.m., one week only. We're calling next weekend double portion, and uh, it's a mini conference, and we have Pastors Wayne and Ruth Swift with us from Melbourne, Australia. Pastor Wayne is the leader of the Apostolic Church in Australia. He's also our overseeing minister here in Hamilton. Uh, and so the morning is planned as one big session from 9am through to 12 and it'll start off with Pastor Wayne ministering and then Ruth will come in behind him and she's got a, a great prophetic gift on her life and she'll pick it up from him then again we meet at 6pm to finish the day off but next week so it's one thing in the morning what time do we start? 9am fantastic so make sure you just block out the whole morning 9 till 12 and um, it's, it's going to be a great time. I am expecting that God's going to move powerfully amongst us. And, um, you know, we've got two very powerful ministers going to be with us. So that'll be great. Love to see you all here for that. It'll be brilliant. The youth are all away at camp. Youth leaders are away at camp this weekend. They'll be back tonight at uh, for the 6 p.m. They're leading the meeting. And so that'll be uh, Amy Davidson, the guest speaker at camp, is going to be speaking tonight. That'll be a great meeting. The youth will come back really on fire. Now, if you're new to the life of the church, we invite you to join us today after this gathering for a DNA lunch. So DNA is just about who we are, where the church is going, how to get involved, all those sorts of things that you need to know um, when, you're, when you're part of a church. And so that's after here, after this meeting, um, here in the facility, you're most welcome to come if you're, if you're new to the church in the last few months or whatever, we'd love to see you there. It'll be very helpful for you, so it'd be good if you could. Then on the 15th of October, which is not next weekend, but the weekend after, we have CIA, Church in Action. And so it's Muckin Sunday. That's the Sunday we dress up in our work clothes, we arrive here, then we hit the community. 
uh, we'll be cleaning some schools and, and weeding and painting and stuff all around the community. I know it's a favourite with a lot of people every year. So that's happening on the 15th uh, of October. So just a heads up that that one's coming. That'll be great. And then, of course, we also have the light party, which is our what we do at Halloween. Rather than celebrating Halloween, we put a light party on for the community. There will be hundreds of kids here for that. And no prayer meeting this Tuesday. We have our National Ministries Conference this week, and so no prayer meeting this Tuesday. If you're normally here, not this week. So, kids, you can go. Have a great time. Thank you, leaders. Russell with us this weekend from Christchurch. Not sure where he is, but he's somewhere. Say, there he is. Say hello to him if you see him. Right. What time are we coming next Sunday? Well done. Very good. What's that? There'll be coffee at the start. We've got some great things planned for next Sunday. It's going to be really good. It's always good, but next week's going to be well, this morning, we're going to get straight into our message. And uh, I had the privilege earlier this year of being at the Hillsong Conference in Sydney, Australia. And there was one message in the conference, which I thought that the whole conference was exceptional. But there was one message in the conference, which I thought was absolutely amazing. The, the spirit of it was outstanding, prophetic in nature. And I thought, boy, that would be good for us to hear as a church. And um, I think, I cannot recall ever putting on a DVD for the message in the whole time I've been pastoring, except for today. And uh, I thought it would be a real injustice to try and repackage what this lady, Beth Moore, has to say. So we're going to watch it on the big screen this morning. It goes a bit longer than normal. That's why we're going to put it on early. But can I encourage you to really engage with the message, take some notes, because I, I think if you allow it, it's a life changer speaking directly into the culture of where society is at today, where church in the West is at today, and uh, she doesn't pull any punches really, and so I invite you to to really focus in, to tune in, uh, take some notes, because it's the sort of thing that you're going to want to go away and just think over. Um, It's packed full of content, so she moves fairly quickly. Lord, I ask this morning that as we listen, as we watch that uh, you would give us the ability to receive what Beth is saying. Father, that we'd have open hearts, whether perhaps we agree with everything or not, that she would stir something, that you would stir something within our spirit this morning, that we would grapple with some of the things that have been said and that the end result would be good for your kingdom. The end result would be good for uh, relationships with you, for intimacy with you. The end result would be good for our city and for our nation and for the world, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been having a few technical glitches. We managed to get through the first gathering without an issue with this. Let's pray that we get through this time as well. Here we go. Oh, I am so...
so happy to see you and to serve you this morning. Would you remain standing for just a moment? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are here in our midst, that your presence is thick among us, and that you have a word for all of us today, every one of us today. Father, do not let us be distracted. Do not let us miss it. You, Father, make yourself so known to us. Reveal yourself to us in this house today. We will give you all praise and all glory and all honor in the glorious and saving name of Jesus. Everybody say hallelujah and amen. amen. You may be seated. Was anybody else just nearly brought to tears over being able to take communion together? I, I don't know if that moved you like it did me. For one thing, it caught me by surprise. I didn't know we were going to, but I love the church. I love the church. I was raised in church. And so I love our ordinances, the things that mean so much to us, the, the Lord's Supper. I love baptism. I, I love the fact that, that this event is about equipping the local church all around the globe. I cannot think of anything more powerful than that. And I, we are from so many different nations in this house. I pray that it is a great delight to our God. Listen, I loved what Pastor Brian talked to us about yesterday morning about having long arms. Do you remember that? Because I want to start from the place where he left off. I'd love to bridge over from his message to mine this morning because it has a very, very strong tie. So think about what he said regarding influence. I, I want you to recall with me that in the covenants of promise, that the instructions and commands of God were exactly the same. Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abram, go, go, leave this place and go to the place where I will send you. Then we come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where Christ has given his life on the cross for our sins. He has been raised from the dead. He has appeared to his disciples and, and many others during a period of 40 days. And then he is about to depart from them to ascend into the heavens and have a seat at the right hand of God. And so the last commission he gave them and to all of us through that witness was, go ye therefore into all the nations, making disciples. And so I want you to think about that. Both covenants of promise, one continuing the other, the command is to go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded them. We are to infiltrate the world with the life-saving gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and make disciples. Now, here's what I wanna say to you this morning. It may be that God calls you to do that vocationally through the church. That, that is a glorious thing. It may be that he calls you to some kind of ministry where it's just like blatant, that is the way you serve. For me, that is what happened. I did not do a lot of tent making in the way of the uh, Apostle Paul. It was my vocation fairly early on. Now, for many, many years, and many of my brothers and sisters that have been in ministry can nod to this, for many, many years of that, I paid to do it. Can I get an amen from anybody? Don't think for a moment you get paid. It's a 
long, 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 long. If you get paid from the beginning to do some kind of vocational ministry, bless you, bless you. But that doesn't happen very often. So, and then, you know, just working into that vocation. But I want you to understand, picture it like um, a strand of Christmas lights, that, that the objective of God is to wrap this globe in the light of the world by sending us forth. So picture it, if we had a globe right here, I'm just gonna take a strand of, of white Christmas lights and I'm gonna wrap it around it and wrap it around it and wrap it around it and wrap it around. It's got to be plugged into the Holy Spirit, right? So, so think of it that way. So he's always going to call more people out into the world where it's darkest than he's going to do inside the church. So I, I don't want you to think that if he calls you to another vocation, that you're to take the witness of Jesus Christ into that field, and it's not a field of ministry that you are less than. In fact, you have been entrusted with such a profound witness, such a trust of God that he has placed you out in the world with that light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to prove this to you in Scripture. You and I are going to fly through the Scriptures this morning. I do mean fly. So get ready to go. And the first place we're turning is 1 Kings. Go with me to 1 Kings. Now, I want to, I want to show you a concept right here. 1 Kings is right next to 2 Kings. Amen. You know, the thing about having a new Bible is I don't know where anything is. But, you know, I told you I don't want to get comfortable with it. I want to get comfort from it. So you'll be there three years before I get there. But 1 Kings chapter 4, 1 Kings chapter 4, I want to read verses 29 and 32. You all also have them on the screens. And then 32 through 34. This is about the wisdom God gave Solomon. Now watch this because this is strategic to us in our calling to the world. It says in verse 29, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. And the breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, verse 30, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. And that next verse is going to be all the names of people he happened to be wiser than. Come down to 32. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. So uh, all of these songs, so think about the breadth of the understanding and intelligence God gave Solomon. Stay with me here because this gets impressive. It says that in 33, he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And all the people of all nations came to hear, let me read 34 again, and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Did you notice the kinds of fields that God's wisdom reached into? Because that is of great importance to us when we come to understand that your calling could take you in all sorts of fields where you are then assigned to take the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. No less than your brothers and sisters who are in ministry vocation, no less than those work in the church, you are entrusted then to take the light of the gospel of the, of the glory of Jesus Christ into that part of the world. But it could be any field 
any line of work that is ethical and honest. Think through this with me. I, I jotted down just recently what all this could look like. So just go with me here because I want you to understand this morning as we're called out into this world, every field is God's. The world is His and they that dwell therein. Every field is God's. Look at somebody and say, every field belongs to God. Oh, I, I need a little more enthusiasm than that this morning. Look at it. I mean, be positive about it. Every field. Every field belongs to God. So let me see if I can illustrate this just a little bit. There is utterly nothing about which God does not know everything. I'm gonna say that again. There is absolutely nothing about which God does not know everything. All the icks and theologies, like mathematics, economics, acoustics, aerodynamics, athletics, theologies, biology, sociology, anthropology, psychology, geology, technology. Go no further than Genesis 2 for glimpses of divine ecology and zoology. How about astronomy? Well, he didn't just speak the stars into the sky, he calls them by name. How about ornithology? That's the study of birds. Well, he wove feathers to flesh and not a sparrow falls without his knowing. How about meteorology? Well, skies mirroring oceans, clouds double billed to bring rain and, and to cloak the glory of God. He appointed lightning to strike and snowflakes to float from the exact same atmosphere. All sciences originate with God, social science, agricultural science, political science, computer science, health science. Science is not God's objection. It was God's idea. What God's objection to is godlessness in science. Anybody need to hear me this morning? God does not object to science. He created science. What he objects to is godlessness. When he is left out, of his own science, he tends to be a little bit miffed. It says in oceanography, whales fashioned so that he could just watch them frolic. Do you know that the scripture says literally, he created them so he could watch them play. Sexuality, his idea for man and wife's exquisite pleasure and for human procreation. Archaeology, the same God who conceals at his own will and timing reveals. Medicine originated from the great physician. Nutrition from the holy dietitian. And I don't even have to say music to you, you know. Notes took wings and flew to their score at the command of the divine composer. Symphonies found their soul-clutching sounds at the command of the divine conductor. The arts were inspired by the artist himself. Colors, textures, dimensions, shades, all by God. Writers found ink under the inspiration of the one called Logos the word. Every great movie, every great novel winks in this way or that at God's brilliant meta-narrative. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, for everything was created by him. 
in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Who were they created for? Created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. So this is how this goes. Remember last night when I told you that he is, really is the know-it-all? He really does know it all. What every field of, of just decency and honesty you could possibly be in, can he fill you with his spirit and use you to bring light into that darkness? Absolutely. It is his desire to do so. What I wish I had this morning, if I had thought enough in advance, I would have um, brought it with me so that I could illustrate it. I want you to picture every single one of those fields that I just mentioned and any other. Just picture it. Picture it all like helium balloons with ribbons tied to it, and I want you to picture with me that for the believer in Christ, every one of those fields are meant to be tied down to the Word. So you are no less called to the Scriptures, you are still equipped by the Scriptures, no matter what field you're in, no matter what field I'm in, it has to be tied to the Scriptures because this is how we're equipped. This is how we know what the truth is. And so I want you to picture that's the Holy Spirit that is that's holding that balloon up and it's holding it right here to the Word of God. So no matter what field you're in, it has to be attached right here or you will not be equipped as a saint in the work of ministry. Every saint, you are a saint if you are in Christ, is being equipped by the Word for the work of ministry. Whether your work of ministry is in the area of real estate, whether you are a biologist, a public school teacher, a doctor, the owner of a real estate business, it makes no difference. We are equipped by the Word of God. So here's the thing. Here's where this gets very, very tricky. Every field is God's, but you staying His and me staying His in heart, soul, mind, and strength in every field is where this gets tricky. Every person in here, regardless of our field of ministry, mathematics, church, child development, what, 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 none of us will be faithful to God in our field accidentally. Every single one of us, if we're going to walk this thing faithfully, it will be because we intended to, that it was the desire of our hearts. We will not accidentally be faithful to God because what will come most naturally, naturally to us is to satisfy ourselves. So we make a commitment. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if in all our fields of work, in, in all your fields of academics, whatever you may be doing, to just devote that to Him today? And when we leave this place later this week, we branch out all over this world, invading it with the kingdom message of the gospel of Jesus. That is everything. Now, here's the thing. My goal this morning is to shed light on the slyest scheme the devil's got going. And it's also the oldest, and it's the reason it keeps working, because Satan keeps placing a bet on our self-interest. Oh, I, I want to say that to you again. 
The reason why we're not on to him, that, I mean, he's, it was in the garden when he basically said, why in the world would you want to worship God? You could be, well, he's just trying to keep you from being one yourself. And he's still doing the same thing and he's getting away with it because he places a bet in the best possible position. He bets on our high self interest. I want to show you uh, what this looks like in Matthew chapter 16. I want you to turn with me there and I want you to keep in mind a very important part of this lesson is knowing that we are all vulnerable to this. The apostle Peter was already showing extreme brilliance by this time in the scriptures. Just prior to the point that I am going to start reading with you, he had been, I mean, given the ultimate compliment by Jesus. When Jesus had asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? And it was Simon Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And his next words are just startling with power. Next scene. Next scene, this is why it's so important to understand. No one is beyond this. If he wasn't beyond this, none of us are. So there's no shame in not being beyond it, where we, where we get some intelligence about how to fight this kind of a sly scheme of the enemy is when we are on to it and we can recognize it coming. Verse 21 of Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter, same one, star student, took him aside and began to rebuke him. We'll make sure everybody in the room sees that Peter literally rebuked Jesus, takes him to the side and he rebukes him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus does the oddest thing. He turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You are watching the playing out of one of the most important principles in all of Scripture and the slyest move the enemy will ever have. This is his most effective ploy right here in front of our eyes. Question for you, why does Jesus connect Satan's brashest work with the mindset of things on man? Because he said, get thee behind me, Satan, because you have in mind, Peter, the things of man and not of God. Listen carefully. Because Satan's most powerful scheme is to make man think he's got a better idea than God. Every time you can take it to the bank, it will be across the board. It is his most effective thing. Peter was like, you do not need to do that. God would never ask you to lay down your life. You must have misunderstood him. Lord, this will never happen to you. God would never ask you to sacrifice like that. Listen, a Christ with no cross may have still been God, 
but we would have been lost. It was what he came to do, but Peter had a better idea. He was the smartest one in the class. You should never do that. Here is the paradox. God's interest is in your best interest. I promise you that. Based on the authority of the Word of God, I promise you that that God's best interest will always be in your best interest. God's best interest will always be in my best interest. The devil's slyest scheme on this earth is counterfeit humanitarianism. It will, every time, counterfeit humanitarianism. This is when he is most effective at masquerading as an angel of light. Satan knows good and well that most people are not going to be tempted to become Satanists. They're just not going to be interested in that. There'll be a few, but for the most part, that's not how he's going to get us. All he's interested in is disconnecting us from God, causing us to be separated from God. That's his only objective is to get us away from God. So what he wants to do is he wants to cheat God of you and he wants to cheat you of God. And so this is Satan on the sly. Listen, I'm all about you. I mean, God, he's all about himself. I am all about you. No, he's not. Let me tell you what Satan's all about. Satan is not all about you. He is all about you going to hell. And I want to say it very clear, in case my southern accent threw that off, I want to say that a little better. Satan is not interested in you. He is interested in you going to hell. That is what Satan is interested in. That will be his interest to the very last breath he takes. That is what he's after. Now, here, I'm going to need you to really concentrate for the next few minutes because this could get very confusing if you don't just stay right here with me. So don't get distracted. Stay right here. The more Satan can work behind the scenes, the better. Remember, all he has to do is place bets on man's self-interest. So things that exalt man. It's, it's ingenious. It's absolutely ingenious. There is a name for this origin of influence in the Scripture, and, and it begins, it's rooted in Genesis chapter 11. I'm not going to turn you there because we don't have time on the clock, but here is what I'm going to ask you to do. I will ask you, if you would please, jot down these references so that you can check it out later. So I love when this happens. I love when something stretches across the Scripture because that becomes a principle to us. So way back in Genesis chapter 11, after God has told the people to scatter and cover the earth, well, no, they decide, let's build a tower to make a name for ourselves. And, and we refer to it as, because God, God, um, God uh, confused their languages, we refer to it as the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11 is the first time we see man in this way giving a blatant, blatant nod to his own corporate self-interest. Let's make a tower and build a name for ourselves. 
That word Babel is the same root word as we would find in the Hebrew language for the name place Babylon. This is extremely important, so really sit tight with me because I'm gonna show you something in, in Revelation 17 and 18. I want you to turn to it, but we're not gonna read it yet. I just want you to see it. Turn with me to Revelation 17 and 18, and if you have captions over the paragraphs of scriptures, you'll be able to see it from the very start. The fall of Babylon, see it in Revelation 18, 17 and 18, have it open and have it ready because I'm coming back to it in just a moment. So remember, it's gonna say right there, the fall of Babylon. It's, it prophesies the time when God really has had absolutely enough of the whole Babylon mentality because in the scripture, Babylon was an actual place. It was a place. Um, it became then a region, Babylonia. Then it became ultimately, at the time of the kings in Israel, it became an empire. It is the empire that took the nation of Israel captive, completely captive, when they were a free people of God, took them captive and enslaved them, and it still is what enslaves us most today. The enemy is working behind it, but listen, it's doing all his bidding for him because what is it doing? It is placing bets on our low tolerance for God interest and our high, high proclivity to self-interest. So man builds a tower to make a name for themselves. Then we have God dealing with it in uh, Revelation chapter 18. If you're wanting me to get a little more specific with it and get it into a nutshell, what was originally a locality, Babylon, the location, the locality, God begins as early as the book of Isaiah to reference as a mentality, not just locality, but, say it again, not just, but, so it becomes a mentality. If we were going to look for one place that would put it in as succinct a form as we could find it, we would find it in Isaiah chapter 47. Turn with me there, please. Keeping something in Revelation 17 and 18. Isaiah 47, what are we looking for? Well, we're looking for a way to define what is the Babylon mentality? What is this thing that really originated all the way back in Genesis 11 and goes all the way to Revelation chapter 18? It's a very high point in Isaiah because this is when the empire is going to enslave them, the very people of God, and take them captive. So what are we looking for? We're looking for what would put it in a nutshell for us to understand it. It's there blatantly because God is going to quote Babylon's motto. So we're looking in the scriptures in Isaiah 47 for God to quote Babylon's own motto. This would be her cheer. Isaiah 47, verse 8. Now, therefore, hear this, you lovers of pleasure, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. 
And then again in verse 10, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am. And there is no one besides me. It is absolutely, without a doubt, a blasphemous play on the Lord's own self-disclosure all the way back in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses said, well, what am I going to tell them your name is? And he said, you tell them, I am who I am. And over and over, I want to be right about, about five times in the book of Isaiah, God says, I am the Lord and there is no one like me. So this play on words here where Babylon goes, no, I am. And there's, there's no one besides me. Okay, are you still with me? Okay, let's go now to Revelation 17 and 18. Revelation 17, I wanna read you verses one through three. It's all prophetic, all of a time to come. 17, one through three. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me saying, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. I will explain that in just a moment. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality, the dwellers on earth have become drunk. I don't know what your wording is in your translation, but if you're willing to write in your Bible or if you have an electronic Bible and you can highlight it, I especially want you to highlight the part that says the dwellers on earth have become drunk. The dwellers on earth have become drunk. Now listen carefully. Do you remember yesterday morning what Pastor Brian said about influencing kings? It was so powerful and so profound. Yes, yes, yes. I cannot amen that enough. But I want you to hear something. If you cannot, if we cannot influence them, and by kings of the earth in Revelation, what that means is that just the, the power players on earth. It doesn't have to be someone before um, with a title that says king so-and-so, or prince so-and-so, or president so-and-so, or prime minister so-and-so, or queen so-and-so. It just means the power players of the earth, the kings and princes of the earth. If we cannot influence them, we are not to let them influence us. I, I cannot make this too clear. We cannot let them influence us because they are spreading the Babylon mentality of I am and there is no one besides me. In Scripture in spiritual terms, when you're seeing the reference to the kings of the earth having sexual immorality with this mentality, this Babylon mentality, this prostitute. Now understand with me, because the prostitute's what's being called Babylon. Her, Satan is her pimp. He, remember, he always does better behind the scenes so we're not on to him. So he's pimping her out. 
And so what, what happens here in this scene, when it says sexual immorality, you would find this in a number of the prophetic uh, books in the Old Testament. God referred to idolatry as spiritual adultery. The, the, yes, of course, we see uh, the, the extreme influence of sexual immorality. That certainly is part of it. But if we only limit it to that, we're going to miss the symbolism that's being used there because adultery, uh, that, unfa that unfaithfulness is about idolatry. It's about there being anything that is raised higher than the one and only true God. So remember that with me. So scripture uses a very specific metaphor for being under the influence of Babylon mentality. Did you see it with me? Because it says, with whom the kings of the earth, verse two, have committed, committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality, that's unfaithfulness, that's idolatry, the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. The metaphor that is used for being under the influence of the Babylon mentality is drunkenness. Everybody got that? Because it becomes extremely important to us. All right, you tell me, what is the metaphor that is used for being under the influence of the, of the Babylon mentality? Drunkenness. It, it, it's, it's drunkenness. Drunkenness. It is a drunkenness not of literal wine, but of intoxicating power. Listen carefully. Of intoxicating power of knownness. The desire to be known followed, seen. The Babylon mentality is, I want to make a name for myself. The Babylon mentality is about my I amness. Is anybody tracking with me? It's my I amness. It's when I'm all about what I am. Now see, this gets very, very shady in the church because we do our I amness in Jesus' name. So it gets very confusing because we're being who we are all about Jesus, because we're gonna be glory to Jesus, and he does not mind us being right in there with him. Does anybody get that with me? So it's very, very intoxicating. Very, very. I need somebody to remind me of her motto. You remember it back in Isaiah 47, verses eight and 10? I, what? I am, and there is no one besides me. I don't, just let, let, me, let me just throw out a few bracket phrases. So I'm going to take that verse, but in the middle of it, I just want to add a phrase here and there with brackets. So picture that if I were to put it on the screen and you could see it. Just a few bracket phrases in the middle of it and see if any of this sounds familiar. I am, and there is no one in this picture besides me. Anybody? No one in this Instagram post but me. No one in most of the pictures on my phone besides me. We are obsessed with ourselves, obsessed with ourselves. I am, and there is no one in this video I am, and there is no one I'm more interest, interested in 
than me. I am, and there is no one I'm looking out for besides me. And I keep wondering why I never do fall in love with someone. I want to be in love with someone, and I've, I've been with so many people, I'm never falling in love. That's because we are in love with ourselves, and they do not compete with us. Because I am, and there is no one besides me. We're going to spill it now, aren't we? In Daniel, you can see it at its most intoxicating. It is beauty, glamour, privilege, brawn, excess, self-adoring, image-building. It is the social variety of ethnic cleansing. Cleanse the world of the ugly. Only nothing turns out uglier. It's decadence. Indulge your flesh. Indulge your fantasies. But this one's huge. This one's huge. You can't misunderstand this one. Don't miss it. Do not look away for a moment. Indulge your spirituality. Listen, this one is big because, listen, never think for a moment Babylon doesn't support spirituality. Of course it does. All it cares about is disconnecting you from the one true God. There's all, remember that what, do you think that the demons would not be interested in spiritual things? For crying out loud, they are spirits. <laughs> they are spirits. Oh, somebody help me, please. Please, somebody help me. Somebody just give me some help here today. Listen, in Babylon, anything goes. Atheism, perfect. Polytheism, perfect. Have them all. Counterfeit humanitarianism. Oh, listen, it's one of Satan's best things going. It is brilliant to convince us that man is kinder to man than God. No God would have you give that up. That's not sin. No God would have you lay that down. There's no cross for you to pick up, no sacrifice. That's not sin, that's you. That's who you are. I am, and there is no one besides me. Satan exalts man not because he is pro-man. He is pro-hell. The only reason he ever exalts man is to hang him by a noose. Anybody get what I'm saying to him? That's what he's about. Such a crock. Any kindness we have, any compassion we have, any love, when, when we think we are never more arrogant than when man in his hubris suggests that we would be more loving than God. God not only loves, God is love. His very isness, his very isness is love. He can no more stop being love than he can stop being God. It is his isness. It is part of who he is as the I am. Any, any, the least bit of compassion we ever have, when we have mercy for people, when, when we have love for people, when we have empathy and sympathy for people, every shred of that is only because we have been created in the image of God. That's it. 
Listen, often the most compassionate thing Jesus could possibly do is call us from our sins. That is compassion. And he does it over and over again. He forgives lavishly. He forgives lovingly. He cleanses completely. And then he says, now leave your life of sin because he's mean because we make him feel better about himself. We can't make Jesus feel better about himself. Jesus feels fine about himself. <laughs> He's going, listen, you, you don't understand. My interest is in your best interest. My interest is in your best interest. Do you honestly think I'd call you out of something if I did not think it was in your best interest? Oh, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, somebody give me some help today. Somebody's gonna tell me, oh, but the sacrifices. Yes, I will not minimize that one single bit. That is no small thing. It is enormous. It is huge. Many, many tears. There might be much loneliness, but this life in comparison is gonna turn out to be only a breath and the sacrifices will be made up for thousands and thousands and thousands of times over in an eternal kingdom. Okay, so why? Does this matter so much to us here in our gathering and back in the States and in all of our churches and all over every first world country where the church can be found? I'm gonna tell you why and it's what I came to tell you in these last couple of minutes because this wine is spilling into Christ's church and it is spiking our communion cups not only her church, but her institutions. A drunkenness is befalling the church of Jesus Christ. Some people are fighting to stay sober, some are tipsy, some are slobbering drunk, and some are already completely passed out and sound asleep. No one's immune, not the godliest person you have known, not Peter, not us, because we all have vulnerability to self-interest. You still open to Revelation 18? Look at verse four. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped as high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Revelation talks about the wine of her passion. Oh, Babylon has passion to offer. And mankind wants passion, don't we? We want passion. But here's the thing. It's all a perversion, a distortion, a counterfeit of what really makes us prosper in our souls. God created man to thrive, and he knows that the biggest burden that you and I carry in all of our lives is our own egos, our own egos our own self-interest will be our own self-destruction. He knows we need a bigger name to live for, the name above all names. He knows we need a bigger passion that won't burn us to the ground, holy passion. He knows we wanna be under an influence that lightens our hearts and even gladdens our hearts and gives us joy, but you see, that's the Holy Spirit. He knows we naturally want to be happy. I mean, it's just part of being human. But see, Psalm 144:15 says, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. He, he knows we wanna see the 
flourishing of man, that we're sympathetic, that we're compassionate to what's going on. So he gave us the message of salvation, not exaltation of man. If Jesus be lifted up, he will draw all unto him. But if man be lifted up, he will descend into hell. The great I am says, I am the best thing that ever happened to you. Okay, so here's where I'll end. The bride of Christ is getting drunk on the wine of Babylon, intoxicated with ourselves. Revelation 18:4, come out of her, my people, not out of the world, because we were sent there, out of the mentality. We must, it will be the ruination of us. We must come out of the mentality. Here's the thing, we are addicted. We've been sipping that wine that spiked our communion cup and we are sipping it. And now we don't even know it. See, I, I'm, I'm very familiar with how this whole drunkenness thing works and how the addiction works because this was the bondage of choice in my family of origin. I cannot count the times that I have seen people drunk. And, and let me tell you what they'll say over and over again with keys, the car keys dangling from their hands. I am not drunk. I'm perfectly sober. We've been sipping so long, we're addicted. Here's what I've come to say to you. There is rehab for the bride of Christ. There is. There is. It's called repentance. Repentance. The best thing that ever happened to any of us. The best thing that we just get to change our mind. We get to change our mind, our outlook on it. I can't make you ask yourself. I can only ask myself, and I have. Recently, and then again yesterday, I have said, no, I know how odd this is going to be quoted out there. Oh, I already know. But you know what? I'm most interested in what's happening in here right now. And I want you to know, I have asked him straight out, Lord, am I drunk? Am I drunk? Because all of us want to stand by I'm not drunk on it. I'm not drunk on it. I'm not drunk on it. I'm sure I'm not drunk on it. No, am I drunk? Because no one in this room is at greater risk of being drunk on the wine of Babylon than the person who is so sure they are not drunk that they will not ask. I'm asking, and I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. Here's what I know. If I'm not drunk, I'm sure as heck tipsy. And so I don't know what you're going to do right now. I'm going to repent. This part of the bride of Christ wants rehab. My rehab's gonna come one way. I wanna repent. I wanna repent. If anybody wants to repent with me, would you just, just drop your head? Just drop your head and let's do it together. Lord, um, forgive me for being intoxicated with the Babylon mentality of this world, building images Names for ourselves in your name, Jesus. God, God, help us. Help us. We're so drunk we cannot see. We cannot see ourselves in the mirror. I repent. I repent. 
I want sober joy, real joy, jump up and down joy. I want the real thing. Gladden my heart with the real thing. We adore you, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you we need not plead for forgiveness. We've just got it because of the power of the cross and the shed blood of Jesus. We've just got it. And so we receive it. And I receive it in the merciful and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Powerful message, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very powerful message. Um, why don't the band come? That'd be great. Thanks, guys. We're going to sing a couple of songs, take a few minutes. And I really encourage you to think about the message. Let it get in. You know, another way of self-interest in our society, we live in a society of entitlement. It's another way of saying self-interest, isn't it? It's all about me. It's all about me. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that. And the, the church is not immune from that in any way. The mentality within church settings right across the country is serve me, serve me, serve me. Give me. It's about me. But it's never, ever been about you and me. It's always been about Jesus. And I don't know if you're walking in relationship with him, but that is the place to start. Is our acknowledgement that he is the king, that he is God, we are his creation, that he's designed us to live a life in relationship with him. That's what the cross was all about. It was clearing the decks, so to speak, so that we can freely come into relationship with him. And this morning, if you can't say that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour or perhaps for whatever reason you've stepped way back as we sing these couple of songs can I encourage you to do some business with God the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord we believe in our hearts that he was risen from the grave by the Father we will be saved if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord he's a Messiah that he was risen from the dead on the third day by the Father. We will be saved. In other words, we will be connected to him. Relationship will be reestablished with him. When we put that into a word in church context, we say we will be saved. This life and eternity. And as we sing these songs, I encourage you to do that. If you've never done that, connect with Jesus because that's all of what it's all about. He is the great I am. We're his creation. We're designed to do life with him. And then as the songs go on, why don't you just contemplate the whole it's all about me attitude. Where's God called you? Where's God placed you? In the marketplace, in the community? Where's God placed you? What's he got you doing? He's got you there as an influence. He's got you there as a carrier of the kingdom of kingdom values. I wonder if we've been approaching our areas of influence that we live in as it's there to serve me or if we're there to serve it on behalf of the kingdom. Some good thoughts. So if you guys would like to lead us in a couple of songs and we can stand to our feet and 
mull these things over. Have a conversation with Jesus.
down here. God is calling some of you to come on out. Come to the altar. To do some business with God right now.
to thee. Father, I pray this morning that you would stir our spirits and our hearts, that we'd live for you and not for ourselves, that as we leave, as we hit the week, we would have an awareness when we switch into it being all about me.
not with a sense of condemnation, but with a sense that we're not designed for this. And that we'd be able to make the change. Father, give us the courage wherever we are and whenever we're there this week to be like Jesus, I pray. Action, deed. Father, that this week the eternal welfare of those around us would take precedent to our own comfort. I ask in Jesus' name. I was thinking as we were singing, as we, you know, you may be thinking, no, I don't think that really affects me too much, what we heard this morning, but wherever, whenever, be like Jesus. If there is someone in your world, and there will be, that's not in relationship with Jesus, they are heading to a lost eternity. If you are not in the place where you can step into their arena and share something of the good news of Jesus, something of the good news of his kingdom, this message is for you and it's for me. Because the only reason we won't step in there is because we're worried about ourselves more than we're worried about or concerned for those around us. And my youngest son quotes to us all the time, Romans 8, 18, is it? 8, 18. What is this temporal discomfort for all the glory that is about to come? Or why fear this temporal discomfort for all the glory that will come in the future? But I think Beth was so on the money that we make it all about us. And at the end of the day, it's just not about us. You know, if the president of, well, maybe that's a bad example right now. I can't use New Zealand because we don't know who that's going to be. If the queen. (laughs) If she called you up, if she called me up, she said, Sheridan, I've got an assignment for you. And I'd be like, this is amazing. I'd be in there. The great I am, God, our creator, has called each one of us up and he said, Sheridan, Nairi, Jan, Trevor, Rachel, and who, anybody else? I've got an assignment for you. Yeah, it'll be a little uncomfortable, but go for it wouldn't hesitate if it was the queen yet we've been chosen by the king of all kings and the lord of all lords so i pray as we go into our week this week we go encouraged a little challenged but encouraged we go determined to you know john 15 is the answer abide in christ remain in the vine we go determined to connect with jesus stay connected with jesus leading yourself will always be your greatest challenge yourself connected with Jesus will always be your greatest challenge. But I pray that as we go into the week this week, we go with these thoughts in mind. Can I remind you that next Sunday, 9am, and it's going to be fantastic. So make sure you're here for that. If you're visiting with us today, you're new, please help yourself to a bag down the back. Please stay if you're feeling new to the church, you haven't done a DNA, um, stay and come to DNA. What's that? Lunch is provided there. 
that'll be great. And uh, so stay on for that. Don't forget to bring your kids up. Also, if, if we can stand with you in prayer for anything at all, we'd love to do that. And so just come down the front afterwards. Someone would love to come and pray with you. And thank you for being purposed in your giving. Thank you for your generosity. Remember that the giving stations are on the left on your way out. Have a fantastic week wherever you are and whenever you're there. Amen.
How good he is. 